This is our number two of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each week we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week, the events of our sometimes bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. We're heard on 22 different stations throughout this formerly great nation of ours. You can check out each and every one of those on our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's Free Speech broadcasting.com i mentioned at the beginning of the show that we really could do all three hours and we may end up doing all three hours just on news that occurred this weekend and uh, i mentioned that the golden globes were going on as we were doing this show i believe they've just ended and to the surprise of nobody uh, the golden globes by the way for those who don't know are a joke within the industry i, I mean it, the the foreign Press Association is basically just there uh, to get publicity and to hobnob with the celebrities. And basically, if you were a celebrity tonight and you showed up, you got an award. It was basically like a participation award. Uh, Sylvester Stallone won because he was the biggest celebrity. Matt Damon won because he was the biggest celebrity in his category. Jennifer Lawrence won because she was the biggest celebrity. And Leonardo DiCaprio won for The Revenant. And I, I was interested as to whether or not he would win. I mean, most people thought that he would because the role is so unique and so demanding. Uh, I don't know how much acting it really takes to go. Because <coughs> that's basically what Leonardo DiCaprio does through most of the film. Uh, and The Revenant also won for Best Picture, which I think is a flat out farce. Um, I, I happened to watch it, although I didn't watch it in the theater. I watched it at home with my wife. I did not like it at all. The first 20, 25 minutes are really good from a cinematic standpoint. The bear scene is amazing, uh, you know, for the special effects. But after that, the movie is flat out stupid and a waste of time. And it just won the Golden Globe, and Leonardo just won the Golden Globe. So that means it's going to be the Oscar favorite. And so we're going to be hearing a lot about The Revenant. Well, Folks, save yourself some money. Don't go see it. Or if you do, if you do go see The Revenant, here's what I suggest you do. Watch the first 20 or 25 minutes, but make sure you you pick a show that has something else in the same theater going on that you actually want to see. And so then after the bear scene, hop out of the theater and go see something good. I don't know what else. I mean, you know, there are some decent movies. The Big Short is good. Spotlight is good. Uh, you know, they're, they're, The Martian isn't bad. Uh, Matt Damon was really good, but the movie itself wasn't fantastic. But um, The Revenant is going to get all sorts of buzz now because it's acting. Even though it was stupid, the story was stupid and, frankly, gross at times. Um, that's what plays in Hollywood these days, especially when you've got a celebrity like Leonardo DiCaprio working it. All right, now, um, in the next segment, we're going to be joined by a famed defense attorney, Tom Mesereau who, um, oddly enough, in keeping with the theme of, of tonight's program, uh, I came in contact with because of my role in trying to correct the massive injustice of the Penn State uh, scandal. But that's not why he's going to come on to talk. Last week, I discussed the Bill Cosby case. And I provided a theory that while I'm in no way, shape, or form defending Bill Cosby, don't even like Bill Cosby, although I, I did like a few things that he, he said about uh, you know pulling your pants up and that kind of stuff, which I think is definitely hurting him politically now. But I digress. Uh, I, I think that there is a theory here where the women are basically telling the truth and Cosby is basically telling the truth and that times totally changed and that Cosby 
didn't understand that he wasn't actually getting consent when he thought he was getting consent for his very weird fetish that he has with wanting to have sex with women who are unconscious. And Tom Mesro is one of the smartest and ballsiest public figures I've ever come in contact with. So I'm very curious as to uh, what he's going to say, because he's been very outspoken saying, wait a minute here. Uh, this seems like a media rush to judgment. And there's no question that uh, the media's track record when it comes to very high profile criminal cases is horrific. And it's even worse than what most people think. By the way, I think the media is totally blowing it on this making of a murderer, making a murderer story, which is gotten all sorts of publicity, I am totally convinced that Steve Avery is a murderer. And there seems to be a backlash now against Netflix because of this making a murderer thing, which there should be, because they're making a hero out of a guy who killed a woman brutally and seems like a very, very bad dude. Uh, But the news media will always blow it because the news media is totally and completely broken. And I want to talk to uh, Tom Mesero about those issues, which we'll do. Assuming uh, we can get him on the phone when we come back on the John and Leah Show here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler, and one of the founding principles of this program is that the news media is fundamentally broken and will get it wrong almost every time, especially in high-profile situations, and especially when it comes to criminal cases. And last week I expressed a rather unusual and probably controversial opinion about what might have been going on with regard to the Bill Cosby accusations. And I saw that one of the very few public figures that I have respect for, because he's incredibly smart and he's got a lot of guts, which is in short supply among uh, high-profile people, is famed attorney Tom Mesero. And Tom Mesero has been very outspoken about his opinion about what might have been going on with regard to Bill Cosby. So I asked him to come on the program. He and I became acquainted because he actually had the guts to take a look at the, the entire Penn State situation and wrote a great op-ed piece saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should take a second look at this. So he's agreed to come on tonight on a Sunday night, for which I'm very appreciative. Tom Mesro, welcome to the John and Leah Show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Tom, let's talk about, the first of all, the Bill Cosby situation. Um, what What is your opinion on what's going on with Bill Cosby, and why is it that you felt compelled to express what was obviously not a, a politically correct or probably very popular opinion on this case? Well, look, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and you know, criminal defense lawyers are skeptics by nature. We just don't accept uh, with blind faith what the media tells us is going on. And I see so many parallels between this case and what I went through as Michael Jackson's lead defense counsel that I decided to speak out. Uh, I'm not defending Mr. Cosby. I'm defending his right to a free trial. He's presumed innocent until he's proven guilty beyond any reasonable doubt. I don't think he should be assumed to be guilty the way the media is doing it. And, you know, I don't know him. I don't know these accusers. I don't know the evidence other than what little I picked up from the media. But there's so many parallels. I mean, this groundswell of media sensationalism that has already, you know, condemned him and convicted him. 
before he's really really said a word is disturbing to me because I saw it happen with Michael Jackson. The international media had already convicted him. In fact, uh, when the jury was deliberating, they were showing the prison cell on various stations that they said he was going to be living in. Uh, very disturbing. I mean, this man has a right to defend himself. And I have some, some concerns about some of the things I've heard. Um, you know, he was a big star. Uh, women were throwing themselves at him, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, all with, you know, mostly with alternative motives. You know, nothing illegal about that, about wanting to expand your career or advance your, your profession, uh, professional opportunities by getting close to someone who is successful and is perceived as powerful. Um, but as I understand it, there's no forensic evidence. A lot of these claims are 40 years late. Uh, the notion that nobody would go to the police or go to the FBI because he was such a big star, I don't buy. We prosecuted celebrities, you know, for years. I mentioned in one of my CNN interviews, you know, Fatty Arbuckle in the 1930s, you know, mm-hmm. who was a megastar, was prosecuted for rape. Uh, no one thought he was too powerful, despite his stardom, to, uh, to go after him. And in fact, my, in my belief, the last hundred years, if, uh, if a celebrity appeared to be committing a crime, uh, it made the case even more desirable to investigators, FBI agents, police, sheriffs, whatever. Um, uh, I, I just see a lot of problems. I don't see. I see stories that I'm not so sure are going to hold up under cross-examination. In the Michael Jackson case, they said they had evidence that he molested other young men. I cross-examined every one of these witnesses. You know, they were dis- they were compelling and disturbing, and what they had to say on direct examination and on cross-examination, they just crumbled. I mean, I've never seen dominoes fall so so emphatically as I did in that case. People had ulterior motives. They had gone to the media to sell stories. They uh, they had told other people conflicting statements. They'd made conflicting statements under oath. Um, it was just astonishing that the prosecution would hang their hat on so many, you know, f- you know, witnesses with credibility problems. That may happen here. These women may testify, you know, before a conservative jury in Pennsylvania. They're going to have to explain what they were doing in Los Angeles, why they were at the Playboy Mansion or wherever they were, uh, why they were with Mr. Cosby, how often, t- how often they saw him. Um, my understanding is that there are some accusers who claim they went and saw him after they were you know, sexually assaulted. If that's true, that's going to be a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Um, T- Tom, and- Tom, let me not to interrupt you, but I, I, a couple of things I want to get to here in, in limited time. We're speaking with sure. Tom Mesro, famed uh, defense attorney. Uh, one of the things that caught my ear about what you said was, and this is a slightly different than my theory of the case, but you talked about how the social mores have changed, specifically with regard to drugs. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm wondering, you know, my theory on this is, isn't it possible that the women are basically telling the truth, but that Cosby thought he had consent for what we now look at as an incredibly odd and bizarre and terrible fetish that he may have had. What do you think of that theory? Well, again, I don't know Mr. Cosby, and I don't know the facts, but, you know, in the 60s and 70s, they were handing out quaaludes and cocaine, you know, like it was candy at clubs, at parties, particularly Hollywood-type parties. And it was not unusual for people would just be handing pills out and other people to be taking them. Um, you know, if somebody was participating on a regular basis in, in recreation like that, you know, it's going to put a whole different light on this idea that they were handed a quaalude or handed a pill. Um, you know, places like Studio 54 or places like clubs in Hollywood 
were just routinely, people were routinely passing this stuff out. That doesn't go on today. Um, we live in a very different society when it comes to, you know, drug use of this type. And you can't just judge these women accusers by who they are today. You've got to go back 40 years and figure out who they were mm -hmm. and how they were behaving and what their habits were. By the way, kind of Tom, from a legal standpoint, because the case involving the Temple employee is the one that, the, that this revolves around. Yeah. And, and, and from what I read in the deposition, she acknowledged that she took the pills willingly or knowingly. Well, I find that interesting, too, because why is somebody taking pills that somebody offers them? Um, what is their motivation? What do they think they're taking? What do they think they're gaining by all of this? Uh, she's going to be grilled completely on, on, you know, why she was taking pills that she was offered. Mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody offers me pills, I'm skeptical as can be. I'm you know, immediately suspicious. What is this? You know? Right, right. Well, t Tom, speaking with Tom Mazzaro, famed defense attorney, Michael Jackson's attorney, you and I um, are kindred spirits in a lot of ways, specifically with regard to our view of the news media. I I'm curious, did you always feel this way with regard to the news media, or has it gotten worse over time? And why do you think the news media is so bad when it comes to figuring out what really happens in these complex stories? Because the, the news media's goal is not justice or fairness. It's not due process. The news media's goal is sensationalism, ratings, revenue, profit, mm -hmm. you know, a story with legs. Uh, you know, when I, um, when I sat there as the verdicts were read in the Michael Jackson case, you know, there were 14 not guilty verdicts, 10 felonies, 4 misdemeanors. After the last not guilty verdict, uh, when it was a clean sweep, I hugged Michael, and I happened to look towards the back of the courtroom, and all of these media people who were there, you know, before the verdict with, with excitement in their eyes and a glow in their eyes and, you know, obviously, you know, just excited by the idea that the great Michael Jackson would finally splatter, they all looked very upset. Mm -hmm. They looked just dejected. You know, they walked out of the courtroom uh, feeling uh, just uh, like they'd really lost something. And what they had lost was the final chapter in the enormous rise and, and equally enormous fall of a, of a megastar. And they didn't get that final chapter, and it really upset them. These are people who hadn't been attending the trial, who really didn't know the evidence. They weren't like the jurors who were under oath to, to follow the law, to determine the facts. And the sensational story had just ended. They were hoping for another few months of, they were hoping he'd be hauled off to jail. It'd be a few months build up to his sentencing. He'd be brought out, you know, in a jailhouse outfit with chains, without his makeup, without his normal, you know, mm -hmm. uh, dress. And they were just hoping to, uh, to sensationalize and capitalize on all this. And they felt it had been denied them and they were upset. They weren't looking for justice. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big industry. I mean, after the Michael Jackson acquittals, uh, Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown, told me that you cost the worldwide media billions of dollars <laughs> by and acquitting that, him. And that's really all it's about. It's about money, ratings, and fame for the news media. Tom Mesro, it's a, we could talk for so long, and I hope we'll, come, uh, we'll have you back again sometime in the future. But thanks so much for standing up for what you think is the truth and being gutsy. I really appreciate it. Well, it's a great honor to be on the show. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Tom. We'll be back with more News of the Week on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off this week. I'm sure getting ready for her beloved Crimson Tide of Alabama to play in the national championship game on uh, Monday night. She'll be back next week. I'm sure we'll be talking about that. I expect we'll be talking about a Crimson Tide victory over Clemson, but you never know. But in the next hour of the program, because Leah's not been here, you probably have already figured this out. This show has been structured a little bit differently. We had NFL legend uh, Franco Harrison, and we were just uh, joined by famed defense attorney Tom Mesero. We will get to our weekly feature on the race for the White House 2016, where there's a lot to talk about, in the third and final hour of the program. That's coming up in just about a half hour from now. But between now and then, a couple other things I want to get to. Let me, by the way, just wrap up the Tom Mesero interview by saying, I don't want to give a false impression here that I'm in any way, shape, or form defending Bill Cosby. Because if my theory is right, Cosby is a, at best a weirdo and a freak and maybe a jackass and an a-hole um, that had this weird fetish that, you know, he, he at a time period when drugs were everywhere and he was all-powerful and an enormous celebrity had this weird thing where he liked to have sex with women who were unconscious. Now, that's if the, wom- if the women are consenting to that or if he thinks they're consenting to that, as disgusting as that might be, that's not illegal. Or at least it doesn't appear to be illegal or shouldn't be illegal because people will do weird things, especially for powerful celebrities, especially in the circumstances that appears many of these women were in uh, when they had interaction with Bill Cosby. So I-, I am not one of these people that believe that these women are lying. In fact, I think it's quite possible they're telling the truth. Now, they might be exaggerating a few things in retrospect because, let's face it, they're not proud of what happened, and times change dramatically. So people with today's mores when it comes to things like rape or date rape or drug use might look back on something they did 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago and go, what the hell was I doing? I, I can't possibly believe I did that. I must have been coerced. This must have been rape, especially when they hear other women saying the same thing and the news media jumping on the bandwagon. So I want to make clear that that's my view on this particular case. I have no love for Bill Cosby, but I I also agree with Tom Mesero that when in doubt, go against the news media narrative because the news media is always going to blow it in situations like this. When you get celebrity and rape, because rape is basically one of the key R words. Whenever race is involved, look out. The media will blow it. Whenever rape is alleged, look out. The media will blow it. And one of the more interesting things I I think that Tom Mazzaro said, which I didn't have enough time to get into with him, is, you know, he said, well, look, when it comes to celebrities, I've always felt like, I didn't use this phrase, but he, he might as well have, I've always felt that the wind was blowing at the backs of the accusers. He certainly felt that in the Michael Jackson case. And You know, I have been brutally criticized for my role in the so-called Penn State scandal, which I've mentioned numerous times on this program. And if there was one thing that I would ask people to consider in that whole case, which I believe was totally blown at every level, the news media got every single aspect of it wrong. And the reason why they did was because there's a false presumption in today's world. See, we're still living in an era or we think we are, the media thinks we are, living in an era where accusations of this type have the wind in their face because that used to be the case. 
60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s, especially when it came to kids. The wind was absolutely in their face. But post-Catholic Church scandal, I believe the wind was at their back. And so every presumption was incorrect because everyone thought, well, this happened or this didn't happen because the wind was in their face. No, it wasn't. The media media winds were at their back. The financial winds were blowing hard at their back. And I think you see similarities, possibly, with regard to the Bill Cosby case. So we'll keep an eye on that as that goes along. Although I have to say, it hasn't gotten nearly as much media coverage as I would have expected, maybe because it happened, uh, the charges occurred during the holidays. Now, I hesitate to get knee-deep or further into the Sean Penn El Chapo Rolling Stone story, because even though my instincts tell me that Sean Penn may have committed a crime and at the very least was totally wrong in what he did, we don't know yet. I mean, it it feels like we don't have a lot of information that's reliable, but the current allegation is is flat out unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's just flat out ridiculous. Here's what we now believe we know or think we know. So El Chapo, the famed Mexican drug lord, I mean, and he is a huge drug lord who's escaped at least twice from Mexican prisons. He was captured. And why was he captured? Well, he was captured apparently, according to Mexican officials, consider the source, because he was interested in getting a movie made about his life, which I can believe. I mean, the guy, I'm sure, has a huge ego. He's got a ton of money. And as part of that effort, apparently he got in touch with Sean Penn, the left-wing Hollywood scumbag who's wrong about almost everything. And he did an interview with Sean Penn for Rolling Stone. By the way, speaking of outlets that have blown media coverage of criminal cases, that's what happened with the UVA so-called fraternity rape case that never actually happened. And so now Rolling Stone apparently gave El Chapo total control over the publication of this interview with Sean Penn that apparently happened for about seven hours. And from what we're being told, again, we don't know this for sure, but it appears as if Penn made no effort to alert authorities that he was meeting with El Chapo, but that indirectly his meeting with El Chapo led to El Chapo being finally apprehended. And that Penn has actually said he was positive that their movements were being tracked which is an incredibly damning statement, if true, because what that tells you is he didn't want to be tracked, and he made no effort to help authorities. It's just that by virtue of the fact that he was meeting with Sean Penn, he had to come out of hiding, and that's how they caught him. So uh, there's a lot of this story that I want to believe. I I first of all want to believe that El Chapo got, got hung by his own ego, which would be hardly unusual for situations like this, but... Here he wants to get a movie made about his life, and that's why he ends up getting apprehended. Because, you know, the stuff I read on this story was that they were pessimistic that they might ever find the guy. I mean, he's got hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. He's escaped brazenly from a Mexican prison. He's got enormous celebrity and power in Mexico. People are willing and able to do almost anything to protect him. And no one's going to give him up because they'd be afraid to do so because he's got so much power and the ability to kill people and pay people off. But the idea that Sean Penn now, and I'm sure the news media will protect him if you know to the extent that they can. I mean, heck, just last night, Sean Penn had an event in Beverly Hills 
for a charity for, for Haiti that was hosted by Anderson Cooper of CNN. By the way, when was the last time Anderson Cooper did a charity event for a uh, conservative celebrity of some sort? And I doubt that's ever happened. But you can be as much of a left-wing nut job as you want to be, and you can get embraced by people like Anderson Cooper. And there were all sorts of celebrities there last night, Leonardo DiCaprio, all sorts of big-time Hollywood people. And Sean Penn is considered to be part of the club. But this was, if what we believe to be true is true, this is outrageous. This is off the charts outrageous. That Sean Penn was willing to do the dirty work for El Chapo while also making no apparent effort whatsoever to help him be apprehended. And there are reports that he might be under investigation. I I would be thrilled if somehow Sean Penn ended up getting punished in all this, but my guess is he won't be because he's a celebrity and a left-wing celebrity, so therefore you automatically have a lot of protection. Rolling Stone, how they get out of this is amazing to me. I mean, to give editorial control to El Chapo? Are you serious? You, you cannot be serious, as, as John McEnroe might have said one day. I, I mean, that, that is the standards for news media now are so in the toilet. It is such now a joke that if you are rich and are a celebrity and have a compelling story, you get to dictate, even if you are literally the world's biggest drug kingpin, destroying hundreds of thousands of lives, I'm sure killing lots of people, breaking an untold number of laws, and here Rolling Stone is willing to give editorial control to El Chapo. Amazing. All right, when we come back, uh, speaking of amazing, President Barack Obama has solved our gun problems. I don't know if you heard, but he cried. So according to the left, that's all that has to happen. You just, as long as you're earnest and you're sincere and you cry, then that's all that matters is intent. And so the gun problem is solved. We'll talk about that when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. Uh, Leah Brandon is off this week. She'll be back next week, hopefully, to celebrate a uh, Alabama Crimson Tide National Championship. I like to joke that uh, she does the show from Alabama where people care about uh, guns, Jesus, and college football. I do it from just north of Los Angeles where people barely even care about themselves. And I'm not a big gun guy. I've never personally owned a gun, although my wife has, although I'm thinking about getting one, not just because they might be illegal soon, but because the world is changing incredibly fast and not for the the better. But I've never really been into guns. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, so, you know, guns were were normal and wasn't a huge part of my life, but it wasn't unusual to, to see hunting and that kind of stuff. It's just never been a, a big thing for me, but I'm a big believer, obviously, in the Second Amendment, and I, and I think the Second Amendment is particularly important to, based upon where we're going in this country. And one of the things that the president, President Obama, did this week, and there were many, we could probably spend a whole hour on what President Obama did regarding guns and the CNN open forum they had, which was bizarre, and the, the statement at the White House 
announcing his uh, effort to do some executive actions, executive orders, which aren't going to do anything to curtail gun violence, that, um, you know, one of the many aspects of this whole thing that he said was to Anderson Cooper, and the left loved this, was that he called the notion that there could be government tyranny a conspiracy theory, a conspiracy theory. Making it sound like, you know, the people that are concerned about this are wackadoodles. No, they're not. You know, at some point in my life when I was younger, I might have thought, well, that seems a little bit odd, right? I mean, first of all, what the heck are, are what what the heck are normal citizens going to do with some shotguns if the government ever decides to to roll in some tanks against us? And there's something to be said about that, but um I no longer believe that it's crazy conspiracy stuff that we need to be armed as a populace to make sure that we don't have government tyranny. And the idea that President Obama, who claims to be this great constitutional scholar, doesn't understand that and ridicules it by calling it a conspiracy theory is infuriating. And I don't talk that much about Barack Obama on this show. My street cred on Barack Obama is about as good as it gets. I did a movie called Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected. You can find out more about that at howobamagotelected.com. And I went on the Today Show to discuss that, The View to discuss that film, every major cable news network program. Uh, I purchased the website, HowObamaGotElected.com, in May of 2008, so I knew real early on this was where we were headed with this thing. I don't believe that Barack Obama is evil, but I do believe that he is a bad president, that he is incredibly naive. I think he's a narcissist. And when he gave his speech this week from the White House, he actually referenced himself 76 times in a speech about gun control 76 times he also cried which is all the left needed to hear because substance doesn't matter it's about intent it's all about how you feel not what what you actually say substantively what you do substantively to the left it's about how it feels and if your intent is pure then that's all that matters and if you cry whoa wow it doesn't get any better than that. So here, here was the president, President Obama from the White House, crying. And you know he's crying, even though this is radio and it's audio, because the camera clicks are going off so fast when he cries. So we know what the news media is interested in. He appears to cry. Hard to tell whether there are actually any tears. I'll, I'll express my opinion on that after you hear this. But here was the president early in this week. All right unalienable right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, those rights were stripped from college kids in Blacksburg and Santa Barbara and from high schoolers at Columbine and, and from first graders in Newtown. First graders. And from every family who, who never imagined that their loved one would be taken from our lives by a bullet from a gun. Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. And by the way, it happens on the streets of Chicago every day. 
Of course, when it happens on the streets of Chicago, we don't make a big deal about it because for some reason that's just accepted as normal everyday behavior in Chicago, uh, something I'm completely baffled by, but at least the president mentioned it. Now, I don't have any doubt that the president was expressing real emotion. Now, did he purposely express emotion? Absolutely. So I'm not one of these people that thinks he faked it, but that was the point of the whole thing because this is an issue that the left only wins when it becomes emotional. And when you look at this issue of guns long term, in a little in a, in a, in a weird way, this is kind of like the football issue that we started talking about in the first hour of the program. As we become a nation where emotions and intent become far more important than facts, for instance, or principles or personal responsibility, when we become a nation where emotions and intent are everything, it's one of the reasons why I think football is in big trouble. But I also think guns are in trouble because that's how they can eventually win this, especially among our youth. Because if they can set the predicate that, oh, it's just, it, and it, obviously everybody is emotionally hit by Newtown. I mean, that was horrific, horrible. By the way, you know, if um, those parents had chosen to abort those kids a few years earlier, uh, Barack Obama would have had no problem with that. Not a perfect analogy, but I still think it's worth at least mentioning with regard to his hypocrisy on the issue of the value of life. But I digress. The reality is we're all emotional, but what can we do about it? Not one thing the president proposed through executive order would do anything or would have done anything to stop any of those horrific incidents he referenced. And that's not me talking. That's the Associated Flippin' Press. The Associated Press, which is basically in the tank for liberals in general and Barack Obama in particular. They studied it. They said not one of these major incidents would have been impacted at all by these rather minor moves that Barack Obama is doing to make people on his side feel better. And that's what this is about. Feel better about his intent when it comes to gun violence. It's all about feelings. We cannot live in a perfect world. We cannot. You know, in that CNN town hall I referenced, the widow of the American sniper... The, the, the star of the movie, the American Sniper, made a statement that I think people understood, although she phrased it poorly. She said to the president, we cannot outlaw murder. Well, obviously, we, we do outlaw murder. We must outlaw murder. But what I think she meant was that you can't eliminate it. Because if somebody wants to kill somebody else, there's a lot of other ways to do it. Whether it's a knife or a pipe bomb or a car, or what, what, there's all sorts of weapons you can do. You can't stop a crazy person from taking life. And are we going to give up our own freedoms in order to stop something that can't be stopped? And that, to me, is the thing about liberalism that bothers me the most, is this notion that we somehow can live in a perfect world. There is no perfect world. And invariably, the things that liberals try to do to create a perfect world only make it worse. 
because they have a messed up view of reality. They don't understand the nature of humanity. And the bottom line of all this, this really is about narcissism for Barack Obama. This is about his own legacy making him the centerpiece of all this. That's why the reference 76 times to himself. It's an embarrassment. This country deserves better. But we still have to endure at least another year of it. When we come back, we'll talk about the race with the White House 2016 and find out whether or not we're going to get somebody better in there on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 